This episode of Crossed Up is brought to you by Cinch from Amerigas. Be sure to use promo code ITSLIT5. They'll bring a full tank of gas right to your doorstep. Once again, Cinch by Amerigas, promo code ITSLIT5. On this episode of Crossed Up, Anthony and I talk about the return of Major League Baseball. It is back, 60 games, traditional postseason. What does that mean for the 2020 Phillies? We'll get into that and more. We also have, at the end of the show, a special guest, John Foley, who on Twitter is at 2008Phils. You may know him. He runs the uh, Twitter account where he posts postseason highlights, regular season highlights of the 2008 Phillies. Right now, he's doing the 1993 team. It's one of the best follows on Twitter if you're a Phillies fan. Check it in daily with video clips, stills, statistics, who did what, box scores. It's a great follow, so we wanted to bring him on the show to talk to him a little bit about what he has going on. Ladies and gentlemen, it is June 23rd, 2020, and our long summer baseball nightmare is over. That's right. Major League Baseball will be returning. Players reporting to to spring training camp 2.0 July 1st. Opening day, either one month from tonight, June 23rd, or July 23rd, or July 24th, and we are here on Crossed Up to discuss it. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, joined as always by Crossing Broad Phillies beat writer Bob Wankel. Bob, you have a job again, and it doesn't have to do with <laughs> betting. Like, you got I'm something excited. to talk about. Yeah, we have a little baseball to finally talk about. I, uh, I'm thrilled to not be talking about prorated salaries. I'm, I'm thrilled not to be talking about labor negotiations and uh, – discontent and discord and all this other nonsense that we've been talking about for the last month or two. We finally have a baseball season. We know what it's going to look like. We know when and where uh, it is going to occur. And I'll tell you what, one of the things I want to do, I want to obviously talk about the agreement and what it means and and what the season's going to look like and some of the wrinkles that we're going to see in the 2020 baseball season, because to be honest with you, it's unprecedented, and uh, there are going to be a lot of different things that we're going to digest and talk about here in this particular show and certainly moving forward. And then, obviously, we are going to talk about what this all means for the 2020 Phillies. So, I don't – I'm not Russ, so I'm not going to do the we were right thing. But, you know, if you go back about a month ago, six weeks ago, you and I had a conversation. We said that they will play baseball this year. And I think, looking at it now – when people said there's not going to be a season, you can kiss baseball goodbye. I don't think that most people even knew that they, that Rob Manfred had the power to implement a, a season of their choosing at that point. I mean, they were always going to play. It was just yeah. a matter of, in my opinion, that the most serious complication was the coronavirus. I thought that that, that may be the thing that stops them from playing, but they were always going to play. And here we finally are. Yeah. I mean, and it's, 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 uh, it's a good thing we're going to have baseball, uh, even if it is a uh, very shortened version. Um, I would have liked a few more games than 60. Uh, I think 60 is a number that's kind of like eh, a little bit too short. Um, for I mean, I, again, circumstances being what they are, we knew it was going to be a shortened season, but these two sides could have, could have worked together a little bit better and gotten us 
probably 20 more games and it would have made okay half a year all right that makes sense um but i'm not going to sit here and quibble over the fact that we're only getting 60 as opposed to 80 games um we're getting three weeks less baseball than we had hoped i mean when we first uh were talking about the season coming back bob i think we were looking at independence day as kind of like we were yeah you know the day that that was that the baseball would come back instead we're going to get it three weeks later and so that's a little bit disappointing that it's three three more weeks we have to wait, but we're still going to get baseball. We're still going to get a world – well, we hope we're going to get a World Series, assuming coronavirus doesn't intervene. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch and talk about baseball again. If we were seeing numbers across the country like we're seeing in New Jersey and PA right now where, where things are down and they look good uh, involving the corona, uh, coronavirus moving forward, I, I would probably be a little bit more hung up about the number of games played. But when I look at what's happening in states like Texas, Arizona, Florida now, I almost wonder, like though it would have been great to have an 81, 82-game season, I, I almost just wonder – is condensing uh, is condensing it the right way to go like maybe maybe we are better off maybe every single game that you do play you are inviting risk and and potential risk that could derail the season across the league so i just i feel like in light of what we're seeing in recent days the amount of games isn't as tough of a pill to swallow as it, it might have been like even a week ago or two weeks ago before all this bad news started popping up again. No, you're right. And, and so the way I look at it, you know, of course I want, we all want more, more games, more baseball. But I mean, for the most part, if you go back and look over the last decade, teams after 60 games you know, where they're at in the standings are usually pretty indicative of the teams that are going to be in the playoffs. Now, that said, a team like the Washington Nationals, who won the World Series last year after 60 games last season, were not a playoff team. So, I mean, there is something to be said for a a little bit more extended time. But I think it's – I don't know what the exact number is, Bob. I forget what I saw. But I think it's something around 75% of the teams that were in playoff spots after 60 games would make the playoffs after 162. So if we're we're getting uh, seven of the ten playoff teams that that we know and maybe three outliers – I'm okay with that. You know, I, I can deal with that. I can live with that. So I have two immediate thoughts about the 60-game schedule. And the first is that – and I've talked about this on previous episodes, and we've had this discussion a little bit. But you look at the way that this thing's going to play out now, and I just wonder, are teams going to come out of the gate more motivated than they would in any other March or any other April? Like, you talk about, well, it's 60 games and anything can happen, and it's going to invite parity, which I'll talk about in a second. But – Part of the reason why I do think that sometimes teams do get out of the gates a little bit more slowly is is simply just because they know, hey, we have a good team here. We have talent. We don't have to come out guns blazing. So I wonder what urgency is going to do to this season. Like what role will the urgency of the shortened season play? And will teams come out ultra focused right from the jump and, and be a little bit more aggressive trying to win games early in the season than they otherwise would have been. And I, and that's something that I think we have to take into consideration. I think so too. And I think it's, I think it has to, I think you look at these teams, Bob, I, you know, this is basically where teams are at the trade deadline. You get to the trade deadline, and then you have a 60-game push to the end of the season. That's usually kind of how many games roughly are left when you hit that July 31. 
Um, so, you know, we know that post July 31, that what that pushes like most years, I think every team has to come out that way. They really do. Right. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, we're going to dive into a lot of specifics here, but like the first thing that jumps out at me is the schedule. And, and although the league has not said how it's going to explicitly break it down, they did say that you're going to play mostly division games and then the remainder against the team from the other geographical division in the, in the, Amer- in the opposite league. So what I anticipate, if we're doing 60 games, which I think the simple math is, uh, you're going to play each of the teams in your division 10 times. So that'll give you 40 games. And then you'll play each of the teams in the uh, opposite division four times, which will give you the other 20. So that's so the Phillies are going to have to play, you know, 20 games against the American League East. And while that's four against Baltimore, it does, it's also four against the Yankees, four against Tampa, four against the Tampa. Red Sox. Yeah. yeah you and, know. and I'll tell you what, even Toronto's not a pushover. Right. I mean, Toronto's Toronto has a, a very intriguing offense. So that's going to be a tough draw. And we can talk a little bit more about how it relates to the Phillies uh, in a little bit. But one other point on the schedule, you know, if we're looking at a 60-game season, I, I sent out a tweet tonight we're recording here on Tuesday night and you'll hear this likely on Wednesday morning but if you go back to just last season and again I'm just looking at one single season I didn't do a study over a five or ten year span you did talk about how a lot of teams after 60 games tend to make the postseason that is true and there were some runaways from the jump in the American League especially a year ago in the NL there was a little bit more of a a jumble but that being said There were, you had your 10 qualifiers after 60 games, and you had another eight teams that were all within three games of a playoff spot through 50 games. And the reason why I use 50 games as the marker is because if we get that same type of situation playing out here in 2020, that means that there's going to be eight teams going into those final 10 games that are within striking distance. And that draws me back to a bigger point, which I actually wanted to make right off the jump. And that is that baseball is not dead. There you go. Boom. Title of our episode tonight. Baseball's not dead. And the reason why baseball is not dead is because there are going to be things that are, people are going to disagree about. You and I are going to disagree about some of the uh, different rule implementations. I think that we can get to in a minute and that's going to cultivate conversation and conversation in turn creates interest. And so there's going to be that element of it. And you're going to have more than half of the league in the final week or two of the season jockeying for a playoff spot. And within local markets, I think that people are going to be fascinated by it. And I do not believe that baseball's dead. And I know it's easy to shit on baseball and you go on Twitter and everybody says, oh, baseball's back. Nobody cares. People do care. And the reason why they bitched about it for the last six to eight weeks is because they do care. You know, and I know that this is a baseball podcast. I know that we're baseball guys, but I'm telling you, man, if the Phillies get off to a decent start, and I don't know that that's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you that if they play well, there's going to be interest and and people might kind of poo poo it at first, but wait two or three weeks. And if this team gets off to a hot start and Bryce Harper's launching balls into an empty, you know, right field bleacher at Citizens Bank Park, people are going to buy into this. And so it is just so far overblown. Now, one thing I will say is if they didn't get on the field this season, if, if there were no games played, possible death blow. They're playing baseball, and, and baseball is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, with more teams um, battling, and, and the fact that and this is kind of an interesting thought here in that 
you know, there was a lot of talk while the negotiations were going on about an expanded playoff, but we're not getting that now, okay? So it would have been if the players' union had accepted the major league's offer, it would have been a 60-game season with 16 teams making the playoffs. Basically, everyone would have been in the race, right? I mean, even down to the, you know, the worst teams in the league would probably have had a shot with 10 games to go. Well, well, now it's going to be the traditional 10 teams. I say traditional. What it's been the last, whatever, you know, seven years or so, or eight years, however long it's been, they've had five in each, um, in each league. But um, it's, it's going to be a tra- the traditional 10 teams. So, so yeah, it, it will be, um, you know, it won't be as wild and crazy, but it'll certainly be a lot of peaked interest in a lot of towns with – mediocre teams who, who have a chance and and I'll tell you as the guy who covers the sport that you know has has um celebrated mediocrity in postseason play for a long long time in hockey once you get in anything can happen right anything want just get into it and then anything can happen so if you're a, a you know an underperforming team or if a mediocre team, but you find your way in. Just ask the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals. Yes. The Phillies will tell you all about that. Yeah. (laughs) Even I'll even go further back, but wasn't it the, um, what year was it where they were 83 and 79 and then one were in the world, won the world series. Yeah. That, that was the year. I mean, that was the, the was year that, the Phillies was that 11 that they won? Yeah, 83? They, yeah. yeah. They were supposed to overpower that team. You know, that was, that was the year. So yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And that's not to say, by the way, that, that is not to say that baseball does not have issues. You know, uh, right. th- there are things that they are going to have to address. The game could be in serious trouble after the 2021 season if that's a prolonged labor dispute that causes them to miss time, which is very possible. Yep. But here in the short term, there's going to be interest in Major League Baseball in 2020. It's an imperfect system. It, it, there are potential pitfalls ahead. You don't know what's going to happen with the uh, health protocols and, and how things are going to play out that way. But I do think there's going to be interest. And one other thing we'll talk about, you obviously have hockey coming back. I know a lot of people lament the fact that baseball missed an opportunity to be the only show in town. But I'll tell you what, and we'll see how the schedules are. And I, I would expect there probably is going to be more day games uh, across Major League Baseball than we've seen in the past. But at the end of the day, I don't know that the average fan is going to look at the nationally broadcast games. Like, let's just say, for instance, you have Braves Nationals on ESPN. Like, is that going to get crazy ratings across the country? Maybe not going up against the NBA or going up against the the NHL postseason if it comes to that. But – I, I just think within the individual markets, there's there, there's going to be tremendous interest. And there's this theory out here now that we've not had sports for so long so that maybe our appetite as, as sports fans or as sports consumers has shrunk. And I don't think that at all, actually. I think that, if anything, it, the appetite's going to be greater than ever. And our capacity to consume multiple sports simultaneously is is going to be very strong. I'll make a – and I'll, I'll use myself as – the guinea pig in this comparison okay i'm a big time uh streamer of tv shows i love netflix and whatever okay uh amazon prime uh hulu i have them all and i watch a lot of shows since the pandemic and i've watched a good amount of tv i find myself sitting there with the remote flipping back and forth between these streaming sites and being like i really don't want to watch any of these because i want to watch a game I want to watch a game. That's what I want to like. It's one thing. It was okay for a little bit, but it got, yeah. it's gotten to the point now where it's like enough. I just want to watch games again. And I think that there's yeah. a lot of people like me. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I kind of obviously missing March Madness. Like that was a big blow. I look forward yeah. to that every year exactly. and not getting to see that was, was terrible, but it was almost in a way. And I think that a lot of our listeners might say like, you're nuts. I totally don't agree with this, but in a way it was almost like refreshing to not be ripping your hair out over sports for like a, like a week or two. And yeah you're watching some new stuff like you have some new things to talk about you know you get into like some documentaries and some captivating television series and you broaden your and expand your horizons a little bit but i'm over that (laughs) i'm good i don't need to watch any more documentaries i don't need to watch any more comedy specials that i missed out on over the last like three years i'm all caught up i'm good yeah Uh, i can't do any more reruns of netflix uh the office like i can't do it anymore like i'm i'm ready for baseball so you know, I guess one other thing I, I want to talk about real quick. I don't know if you heard this or not, but Ruben Amaro was on the WIP morning show um, Tuesday morning. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, yesterday morning, and he was talking about how baseball has worsened over the last 10 years or so. And, and basically he said something that, that I certainly believe is that it's become all about player statistics and it's about the home run and the strikeout pitchers pitch to, to rack up strikeouts. Hitters are simply up there with a home run or bust approach. And it's, it's really taking a toll on the game because you're getting less action in the game. And I started to think about it and I wonder if, you know, the teams to me, like you talk about finding out, this is the thing I always think about with Gabe Kapler and Matt Klintak, finding value in the margins, right? Like that phrase. But I wonder if there's some value, especially in a shortened season of saying, you know what, we really are going to be the outlier and we're going to place more of an emphasis on putting the baseball in play and moving runners and, and trying to play the short game. And like, when you think back to that 2008 Phillies team, I know you think about Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and all the big boppers, but at the same time, like they were very good at getting in runners from third base with less than two outs, moving a runner to sec- from second to third with, with, you know, nobody out and getting them to third where he could score a variety of different ways. Like, I believe team, they led the league in stolen bases too. Yeah, and they could run like, and they were versatile and they were athletic. And, and I just wonder if like maybe some team says, you know, we made it's like the new Moneyball era. Like we're going to just place a priority. We're going to be a little bit different than everyone else. Like eventually, this has got to happen. Like there's got to be a team that says like we don't have the power that other teams have, and we don't have the big arm talent that other teams have. And this is how we're going to do it. And in this condensed season, where the likelihood of of crazier shit happening is possible. I wonder if this is the year that we see a team that you just look at them on paper and go, I don't really like anything about this team, but they just play the game the right way. And listening to Ruben Amaro talk about that earlier today, I said, maybe this is the year we finally see this. Yeah. And I hope you're right. Um, and I, and the reason I, I think that you might be onto something, I look at the last two um, world series champions. I look at Boston in 18. I look at the nationals last year and I look at the way that they played in the playoffs and in the world series, they got away from that, the home run or bust and the strikeout or, but they really played the game the way we like a little bit more of a pure style, you know, and they were, they were going up there and, and, you know, working the count, but, but take, so being selective on pitches and then taking them the other way, hitting balls where they were pitched and, you know, advancing the runners and stealing a bag. And, you know, and even with the pitching approach, you know, that they weren't, um, you know, 
bullpenning the shit out of out of games. They were actually, you know, letting their pitchers pitch. And I and I think that that there's something to it when they won back the back, you know, you got two teams who played that way and won the World Series two years in a row, right? That's not to say that they didn't play it in the new style during the regular season, but when the chips were down, they played it a certain way. So maybe in a shortened season, somebody says, you know what? Let's take it. Let's take a chance. Maybe we're not that power hitting home run team. You know, maybe we can try something here in a 60 game season and compete with the big boys. Maybe now because we only have a 60 game season, we don't have to worry about watching our pitchers pitch counts. Maybe they can throw an extra couple innings. Maybe we can get starters through seven and we don't have to rely on, you know, piecemeal in the bullpen. I think that there are interesting things that could come from this shortened season that may take us back a little bit and come October, we're going to be like, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I do think there's a possibility for that. I wonder how teams, depending on how teams stack up with their bullpens and their starting rotations, I wonder if you see certain teams tandem start where they throw two starters out there and work three innings a piece, three, four innings a piece, especially early on if you have a weaker bullpen because you're, you're kind of going for broke in this situation. So you say, what are we going to do to maximize our chances to win? If you have a little bit of rotational depth, maybe you start to do that where you throw two starters in certain games. I also wonder, though, on the flip side of that, if you don't love your rotation and you feel really good about your bullpen, are we going to see even more bullpen usage than we're accustomed to? Like, I, I almost feel like that, and this kind of goes off of what you were just saying, based on how your roster is constructed, I, I wonder if teams will play to their strengths even more because it's so such a shortened season and it because it's so untraditional. I think it invites the opportunity to see some unorthodox things, some goofier things that we're not accustomed to seeing. Right. Well, so let's take like just for just for kicks. Let's pick a let's pick a, a an ace. Um, uh, let, let let's pick Scherzer. Right. For example, how many starts is he going to get in a sixty game season? Ten to twelve. You right? would think twelve. Yeah. Twelve would be every fifth every fifth game. Would yeah. be 12. Okay. So maybe he gets a game off here or there. It's a 10 or 11. Um, it, you know, he's a guy who usually can go six, seven, you know, at least six, seven innings most days. Um, but do you, do you let him push that pitch count an extra 20 pitches to get an extra inning out of him? Because now you don't have to worry about it being, oh, well, we don't want him to go 220 innings because it's going to tire right. him out. Right. So, I mean, I, you know, I think that you're going to see teams at least with their best pitchers i think at least with their best pitchers let them go a little bit longer um you're you're right at the back end of rotations where guys are you know just kind of mediocre usual usually five inning guys and then they blow up you might see that tandem thing with the fifth sixth guy you know kind of thing so i think you could see a a combination of the two but i would be really disappointed if a team is going to start you know being careful with their better pitchers in a 60 game season, like let them loose, man, let them loose. So the next thing I want to talk about are uh, some of the rules that are coming out. And I guess over the oh coming boy, days, there may be some things and listen, we can't have a two hour podcast tonight, just so you know. So we've got to move through this with some speed, but I think we could probably spend about 45 minutes on just these topics. So a couple things. And, and one, I don't, I'll start with the one that I, I, think you could not possibly have a problem with and that's the August 31 trade deadline if you're going to have or you're going to implement a trade deadline in the season I mean when else are you going to do it but what an amazing little wrinkle this is now because 
teams are basically going to have 38 complete calendar days to evaluate whether or not they want to make a run and add at the trade deadline. And it's also fascinating beyond just the, uh, you know, the limited amount of time that they're going to have to assess their situations. But beyond that, are teams willing to go for broke to win this abbreviated season? Like, do you think that coming in teams are looking at this and saying, listen, we want to win. And if we win this world series, we can all say we won the world series. Everyone started to level playing field and, and that's all fine and well, but do you think teams are going to value this trade, this trade deadline the same way they wouldn't? Do you think they, in effect, are they valuing this potential championship they, the way they would with other ones? So I don't think you're going to see major blockbuster trades, especially for guys with term. But you, what you'll see is you'll see like a little value trades for a bullpen arm or something along those lines, back of the rotation kind of guy. Something that's not going to cost you a lot if you want to try and make that push. And assuming that there are teams that are out of the race on August, de- determine themselves as out of the race on August 31st. They may have to determine, determine themselves I, out because the standings might not, you know. I mean, you it's only be- going to be 35 games yeah. in, right? I mean, so who knows? But if you determine you're out of the race and you have an, a pending unrestricted free agent who you're not going to bring back, maybe that guy. Yeah. goes you know those, those kind of players go but that's really yeah like I can't see that I can't see it being a a typical trade deadline let's put it yeah that way. and I think the the other two things you have to kind of look at number one a, a lot of the minor league prospects that that could be traded in this scenario we're Aren't not have played a major league or a minor league game in, in a calendar year at that point and Really, the other thing is with the uncertainty after the 21, uh, 2021 season looming, I think that controllable assets are going to be more important to teams than ever. And, and for that, that reason, I would be shocked, like you said, that we would see anything of, of a blockbuster magnitude. Right. I mean, there may be a couple notable names that are on the move, but I don't expect to see any seismic shifts going into that last month of the season. Um, so we agree on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, I, I guess let's start with the DH. I mean, my initial reaction to the universe DH, which we will see at least just for this season right now. I think uh, in 2021, uh, I, I don't believe there was an agreement to leave it in place beyond this season, uh, at least for the time being. Listen, I'm a purist. I like the pitcher hitting. I think it forces the strategic maneuvers of a manager. Um, I think it's something that, you know, I like the idea of moving runners. You got a guy on first and second, pitcher comes up, moves him over. Like, I love that. And, you know, the baseball guy in me, We'll be sad to see that go, but I'm not offended by it. And I guess the reason why I'm not offended by the elimination of the DH, at least in this condensed season, is for the simple idea of it's a safety thing. Like, it it just puts another player out there, gives a guy a job. That's one thing. But also, it does limit risk. You're trying to preserve the health of these players in this season more than ever. And, like, so I can at least say, fine. Under these circumstances, I'm a little bit more accepting of of the – the implementation of the DH and the NL. Yeah, I'm okay with it for this season. I really am. I'm. It, it's a shortened season. I get it. It's fine. Um, I kind of was happy that it was not committed to beyond this. I really, I really am. And I, I didn't think that I didn't think that that would be the case. I thought once they put it in, it, that's it. The, you know, the the cat was out of the bag, man. It was going to happen. Um, so, so I'm a little bit surprised. Now, that's not to say that they can't 
agree in the offseason to then yeah. say, hey, hey, we liked this in the 60-game sample. Let's put it in next year. Certainly that could happen. But the fact that they didn't agree to that right away lets me know that there still are some people like you and me that are in baseball who kind of say, yeah, the nine guys on the field should be the nine guys batting in your lineup. How do you feel about starting the 10th inning with a runner on second base? I hate it. Hate it with an absolute passion. It's it's dumb. It's ridiculous. What's the first thing that's going to happen with that, Bob? What's what what is going to be? I guarantee you, ninety five percent of the time, and it will, I guess it will ultimately depend on who's coming up for the other team. But ninety five percent of the time, what's the first thing that's going to happen? You're going to walk the first hitter you face. Exactly. So now there's going to be two men on base, automatically. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 stupid. You're you're basically just saying. We're going to put two guys on base, and then whoever can get down a bunt <laughs> and then hit a fly ball is going to score a run. That's, that's, it, it, makes no, it takes away a lot from the pitchers, and I know that they say, oh, it won't be an, it'll be an unearned run. Who, I don't care about the statistic. Yeah. Okay? I don't. I think it takes away from the – the pitchers can't pitch now. they got to put themselves into a really tough spot, and, and it's – it's bad. I don't, I don't like it. And I get, I know you're going to say, uh, you know, Hey, it's a shortened season. We can't have these 15 inning games and all that. How many of those do we really, really have in a season? Yeah. There's extra and each team ends up getting what, like 15, 14 extra inning games out of 162. Okay. So maybe we'll have at, in 60, you'll have what five extra inning games out of 60. And how many of them go past the 11th inning, right? Or 12th inning. I mean, come on, we're only talking a couple innings here. You're right. I, I can't disagree with you. I will, I will say this, though. Just talked about the idea of playing small ball and who can get a bunt down and who can move a runner. Like, that is going to force that element back into the game. Now, I'm sure there are going to be certain teams. you got a runner on second base. You have your best hitter up at the plate. That guy might be trying to launch one because you have to keep in mind, in the bottom half of the inning, the, the, same, the other team's going to have the same opportunity. So right. scoring one run alone and playing for one run – isn't necessarily going to win you the baseball game. So, you know, and that's the other variable in this too. It doesn't guarantee – it's not like an NFL overtime where a first team scores a touchdown the game's over. You know, it, there is a little bit of a back and forth to this. I'm, I'm interested to see it. I don't like it. I would not have implemented it personally, but, like, I'm not repulsed by it the way that I kind of would expect myself to be, you know, as a oh, guy I mean, that – And the other thing is, is they're taking – they're saying, all right, we're all – it's only for the regular season games, but we're, in the playoffs it reverts back. Well, then what the hell are you putting it in for? Like, really? I mean, if you're, if you're going to do it, why are you doing it? Yeah, that, by that definition, if, if you're going to add an element to your game that you don't think should be a part of the most important and high-stakes games, then, then you probably have a pretty, a, a pretty flimsy yeah. rule. Yeah. Uh, so I agree from that standpoint. However, and it's you, an you talk about – And one more thing. It's, yeah, an advantage, no, it's an advantage to the visiting team. It's an advantage to the visiting team. In, in, in every game because they get to know how many runs that they scored to determine how they're going to handle the bottom half. Because look, if you score two runs or, or more in the top half of that extra inning, you're not intentionally walking. Yeah, you're going to go after the first You're going to go after, you know, so I'm saying the, the home right. team doesn't have that option. So you just right. made and gave, you put a built in advantage for the road team. It, yeah, it doesn't well, make any sense. On the, by the same token, though, the home team may not, if, if they know, well, listen, we only have to score one run, like they may be more willing to bunt versus not giving up that out. Like, you, uh, you know, the, the visiting team might actually have to get 
more batters out on their own. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying and, yeah. and kind of setting the pace there, but here's the only other thing I'll say about it. We talk about baseball needing to reinvent itself and, and doing things and trying things. If you were ever going to try something, and I mean, you know, the NFL has done this for years. They try things, they try to implement ideas and it doesn't work. And then they just say, okay, forget it. Like if you're going to try something, this is the year to do it. I agree. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, I think it's going to spark, like I said at the top of the show, it will, it will spark conversation and debate. And, and I think that that's going to be a good thing. I could see on first take, you know, uh, the day after a game where something like this happens, the, the, the back and forth about it. And, you know, is this good for the game? Would you keep it moving forward? And like all of those conversations are good for the sport moving forward. And so from that aspect of it, I, I don't love it, but I'm not like, you know, I don't have a gag reflex right now either. I guess if you're going to try things, this is the season to try it in. But boy, oh boy, if a team misses the playoffs because <laughs> they, they gave up a run with, a, you know, the, the international yeah. softball tiebreaker rule, which yeah. is what it is. It's, all, it's yeah. not it, – they yeah. it started in softball. It started in, in uh, women's softball. It's yeah, where it started. Fast pitch softball, yeah. Yeah, and now it's, a, now it's a major league thing. And it's like, oh, man, that's bad. All right, so let's talk about the Phillies a little bit here. And, and obviously, we will have plenty of time over the next uh, four weeks before the season starts to discuss the Phillies. And, you know, first of all, I, I guess let's, let's say this. Um, it's so cliche to say that the team that stays the healthiest is going to be the team that will be best positioned to make a run. But, man, is that not so true uh, heading into this season? I mean – the, the obvious implications of what a positive COVID-19 test could do to an organization, do, to do to a roster, uh, could be potentially devastating. If it wiped out your three, four, five hitters, you're, you take a potential first-place team, and they become pretty ordinary very quickly. So that element of it, uh, in and of itself, I think is going to be uh, pretty interesting. And certainly that goes without – it goes without saying that we hope that no player tests positive for this but in light of what we've seen this past week with the Phillies organization uh, multiple players uh, unknown players testing positive and some staff members this looks like it's going to be a factor yes it's going to be a factor um, and I had this conversation with with Russ on snow the goalie when we were talking about the hockey playoffs it's it's going to be the same thing for baseball you know the, you're gonna if, if you're going to – this is going to sound really trite, but if you're going to have a COVID problem on your roster, better to have it in July than to have it hit end of September going into October. And before everyone freaks out, I'll just qualify it because I know that you mean this. And, yeah. You know, obviously we don't want anyone to get it. Correct. Uh, Nobody. And obviously you know that no. – we don't know all the long-term effects of this. So like, I don't want to make it seem like, no, hey, that's, why, you know? that's why I said it's going to sound trite, yes. but the, but the reality of it is, is that professional athletes in their twenties and thirties who are in the, you know, top tip top shape, uh, the odds of them dying from this are incredibly low. So we know they're going to recover. It's going to take a little bit longer than your normal flu would take to recover. Normally, a flu, you can get back within a week, right? But so COVID, you probably have to sit out two weeks. It's going to be like an old DL stint, okay, the 15-day. Um, but it would, you know, it could hit your, your clubhouse and get four or five guys at the same time and be yeah. completely – just devastate your roster. So it, it's the, it's the, un, the great unknown that could make 
every everybody on the level playing field the entire time. It's literally the equivalent of the short fly ball into left center field and your third baseman, shortstop, center fielder, left fielder all converging on it at the same time and knocking each other out. I mean, it yeah. would be a devastating impact. And, and that is going to be something that, I mean, it, I don't want to say it's going to happen. And certainly they've spent a lot of time talking about the health protocols and you'd like to think that they are taking every measure necessary to prevent that from happening. But, you know, if I were a betting man, I'd say that there's going to be a team that, that is in some way, shape or form affected by it. And then the other aspect of it is too, and this came out tonight uh, as, as one of the other wrinkles in the, in the deal that they agreed upon players can opt out if they are, uh, you know, live, living with somebody or they're married to somebody that's in a high risk situation, like say being pregnant, uh, you can, you can certainly opt out of the season. You don't lose your year of service time. So are we going to see different players say, Hey, you know, I have a pregnant wife. We know that Zach Wheeler uh, is in this situation. Do they leave the team? Are they gone for three weeks? Are they opting out altogether? Like th that whole aspect of it uh, remains to be seen too, because you would imagine that there's going to be some player out there that says, oh, well, you know what, in light of what my, what's going on in my personal life, I just, I can't do this right now. I got to step away. And, and so that's going to play it. I think that's going to play a factor as well. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, the, 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 there's just so many things that could, uh, that could, that could impact a team so many more than normal. And that's, and it's crazy to say in a 60 game season, but you, you really have a whole other level of intrigue as far as what a player's, could a player be knocked out of a game or a series of games? And it could be something completely not physical. I mean, it yeah. really could. It, it, it could. it could be something, Bob, you know, this is one. It could be that, you know, you have a, you have a guy who's got a wife and kids and the wife or the kid gets COVID. And then they're like, I got to get out. I, I got to yeah. go be with my family. I go, go take care of my family. And then they leave for that reason. Right. I mean, they leave the, the team. If they're not injured, they're not sick themselves, but they just, you know, they have to leave. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just, a, it's just an, a, a, the great unknown. And, you know, it's something you know, we'll sit here and we'll break this thing down weekly and, you know, we'll have all of our opinions, but boy, we just won't know from one day to the next what's, what's going to happen to the, the players in, the, in this league. So with that in mind, uh, that's kind of a little, little note here before we get into this conversation, but I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the expectations for the 2020 Phillies and, I will start by saying this. Right now, if you look at FanDuel and DraftKings, the Phillies have the sixth best odds to win the National League. That's not bad. That sounds pretty good in theory. But when you look a little bit more closely, you see that the Mets, the Braves, and the Nationals are three of the teams ahead of the Phillies. And you might even say, wow, the Mets, even with Noah Syndergaard out. But they have a lot of pitching, and you also have to look at the fact that that bullpen started to solidify itself at the second half of last season, which is why they went 46-26 and 26 over their final 72 games a year ago. Mets are a pretty decent team, and if that bullpen reverts back to really its potential, they could be a force to be reckoned with. And then you have the Braves, who we know are extremely talented, and then the Nationals are, you know, the defending World Series champions. I know that Anthony Rendon's not there anymore, and that's going to be a big hit, but they should still be a factor as well. So I guess let's start by saying, I mean, what do you expect of this team 
assuming that, and again, big assumption that everything is what we think it's going to be. Well, I think that they're going to be in the mix for, for a playoff spot. I think that the schedule is going to be tough. I mean, the Marlins always play them tough. So if you, if you consider that, and then you consider the other three teams in the division, and you consider the other teams that they're playing outside of the division, with the exception of four games against the Baltimore Orioles, the Phillies are going to have 56 tough games out of 60. Um, yeah. And they're de- now the Phillies are a decent team, so they should win more than they lose. Um, but when you're playing all, when all you're playing are good teams, you like to sit, you know, you like to look at it and say, go 500 against the teams that are above, also above 500, and then you know, like win two thirds of your games against the below 500 teams, and then you're a playoff team, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the the whole, the old fashioned mantra. The Phillies aren't going to have a lot of games against teams that are under 500. Um, I mean, there might you know there may be a team or two that that falls into that below 500 uh, uh, standing because of it's such a short season and, and the way that the games are compressed. But on the whole, these teams that the Phillies are going to be playing, these nine teams that the Phillies are going to have as opponents in this season, eight of the nine are, are good or decent. Yeah. You know, seven, seven for sure, and then Toronto's got a great lineup. They, don't, they just don't have the pitching. Well, one thing we know for sure, the Phillies went 9-10 and 10 against the Marlins a year ago, and if they play right. under 500 against the Marlins this year, if they go 3-7, and seven, that's going to be a problem. Uh, you know, there's no way that they can overcome that. And, again, to your point, you look across at the AL East and dealing with the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, that is a very good team. And, yeah. and the Yankees are stacked. They may be the two best teams in baseball this year. And so you're going to see them. The Red Sox lineup, especially at the top, is still extraordinarily dangerous. And then the NL East is just, uh, I mean, what a, this division is stacked. This kind of reminds me of, like, the early 90s NFC East, you know, where, mm-hmm. like, everybody was good. You know, you could, you could have one of the best defenses of all time and find yourself 8-8, eight and eight, you know? So, yeah. I, I almost feel like that's what this division is becoming. The Phillies, in a vacuum, are a, a talented team, and they should have enough to, to be there at the end, but... When you look at what Atlanta has, and, and Atlanta fell short, you know, even with all that talent the last couple of years, and they they got to feel like, hey, now's our time. And and watching the Nationals come out of nowhere and win that World Series last year, I mean, that team should be pissed. They should be ultra-focused, and they're crazy talented. You know, and they're just hitting their peak. I mean, they have guys that aren't even in their prime yet that are outstanding players. So, I mean, I look at that, and it, it's going to be tough for the Phillies, I think, to overcome that. That being said, I don't believe that they are going to win the division. I just, I just don't see it. Uh, again, wacky things can happen, all that said. I look at it, and I think it's going to take roughly 33 to 34 wins to qualify for the postseason. Mm-hmm. And so I break it down like this. Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, let's assume that they make 25 starts combined. Okay, Can the Phillies win 15 or 16 of those 25 starts? I think that that's possible. I'll say 15 out of the 25 with either of those two guys on the mound. And that is even taking into consideration that Aaron Nola or the Phillies lost Aaron Nola's last seven starts last season. But then you look at the remaining 35 games and can the Phillies find a way to win 18 games out of those other 35 with Jake Arrieta, Zach Eflin, some combination of Vince Velasquez, Nick Pavetta, or Spencer Howard which we can talk about him more in a minute. He and would be the guy that would be my fifth starter, Ranger by the Sua- way. Ranger Suarez, but, too. 
Might do they? Yeah, Ranger Suarez. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's a factor. I just I look at this and I think that for this reason that Jake Arietta becomes critically important to this team. If they can get something resembling a solid third starter out of Jake Arietta for 11, 12 starts this season, they have a chance. And here's one reason that you should feel good about it. Number one, he's off that injury. He is healthy coming into this thing. We, can, we know that with certainty. Now, the other aspect of it is that over his first 11 starts last year, 3-6-0 ERA. He, I know it didn't go well at the end. He was pitching hurt. It was a mess. He blew up as things went along. He couldn't get out of the fourth inning. But for 11 starts at the beginning of last year, he was a serviceable number three pitcher. If he can replicate that for the same time frame, then I think we have a chance. Yeah. I, but again, I, I think that the talent is there for the Phillies to be competitive. But it, again, they're going to be playing teams that are good. So that's yeah. what, so that's the, th- that that's where it gets really kind of crazy because they can't afford to, to dump many games. Like, you know, they can't afford to blow many games and, and they're not, you know, you, you can one or two here and there. You say, oh, okay, that's baseball. But you know, if it starts getting to like five games that you're blowing that you should have won out of 60, it's probably going to cost you. Yeah, and I can, I can work my mind around the idea of Zach Eflin and, and him pitching the way that he did in April and May and not so much the way that he pitched in, in June and July and August. I, I can work that out. I can, like, see that, him being a decent fourth starter. I just can't do, and I'm sorry, I don't know what it's going to look like once they get to spring training part two. I just – I can't look at – Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez in that five spot. And I don't want to see Spencer Howard out of the bullpen. That's not what the plan is for this kid. And like, I I know that there's a school of thought, like let's ease him into this and like, let's give him some low leverage, you know, relief appearances. He can get his feet wet in a shortened season, maybe get some confidence, come back in 2021 and be ready to rock. He's the most talented of these guys. He has the highest upside. He's only got to pitch uh, 10, 11 games max. He gives you the best chance to win. I, I know what Vince Velasquez is. I think I know what Nick Pavetta is. I don't know what Spencer Howard is. And if anything else, I would want to have an idea of what the hell this kid's got at the end of this season because it's likely not going to result in a World Series. So I want to see him, and I want to see what he does with the opportunity. I, I, like, the, I like the idea of, of Spencer Howard um, being given a chance. I do think that they're gonna, you're going to see – a little bit of a six-man rotation to start the year. Um, and I mentioned Ranger Suarez because I think he's going to beat out both Velasquez and Pavetta. Well, because I think, he's I think he's it's lucky. going to be <laughs> and I think it's going to be Suarez and Howard that are going to be sharing that fifth six. Now, what I think you talked about um, maybe doing uh, ta- tandems, maybe having Velasquez and Pavetta, they could be tandem kind of guys. Um, or you sit there and say maybe we try them at the try them at the back of the bullpen and because because I'll be honest, the Phillies bullpen still does not yeah. excite. And I know I know they got guys going to get healthy now because they you know had a few months off. I, I still don't love it. I re- I really don't like what's back there. So I mean, if if you got to try with what you got, I'd rather you give that a shot first, and then maybe by August thirty first you're going to trade for something. I'm in full agreement with you. I, I think that you actually need uh, a couple of these names that we're tossing out there to fill in and, and pitch meaningful innings out of that bullpen because what they have out there right now, it just doesn't 
you know, I mean, listen, Adam Morgan, decent arm, good pitcher, uh, was successful before he got hurt, you know, over the last couple of years. No problem with that. Hector Naris, like, I, I like Hector Naris. I, I think he's a, a very good late-inning major league reliever, uh, if, especially if you just pretend that 2018 or parts of 2018 didn't happen. Um, but just after that, I mean, especially with the Dominguez injury and, and losing him, and, and he really represented that one high-ceiling, high-upside arm that you had – the Phillies bullpen, even if it, even if you get these guys that, that go on streaks, like night in, night out, they just can't match some of the better bullpens across Major League Baseball. And so that's where, you know, you look at the rotation and I can work my way through it just the way I did. I, I, I think that it could be a serviceable rotation and good enough to get you into the playoffs. But then when you pair it with that bullpen, they're going to need Vince Velasquez or Nick Pavetta or both to, to pitch meaningful innings and be good out of the pen. If they decide to go Spencer Howard out of the bullpen, like, I mean, it's better than him not pitching at all this season. I think it would be a shame and a complete waste, frankly, if he did not throw for this team in 2020. But um, I'm adamant. I, I truly believe if you think this kid is part of your plans beyond this year and he's, you know, going to be a top end of the rotation guy, don't mess with them. Don't try to make him a seventh inning matchup guy. Just put him out there and let him rock. Right. And and I think that he's demonstrated enough, especially last year, that he's not just hitting 97, 98 with consistency. He can spot. He's got multiple plus pitches. The guy can handle it. And I know only through one spring training inning before they shut down this year, but I, I really feel that that's the way to go. And if, if they want to win and they want to take their best shot, I think he represents their best shot. And if he doesn't and he blows up the first three starts, well, then you have plenty of guys that can fill in in that fifth spot. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I think that the, the Phillies, the Phillies biggest concern for me is the bullpen and it was last year and it is again this year. And I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record, Bob, but well, they had the third best bullpen ERA after the uh, trade deadline. I don't year. care. Um, the, don't remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. I remember it was, you know, that's that press conference was a disaster. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I, like I, I look at it and say, they have a good lineup. It's not a great lineup, but it's a good lineup. They have two good starting, real, you know, really good starting pitchers. They have three guys who could be decent starting pitchers. And then what's left? It's the bullpen. And games are always – a lot of games are decided, seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And if you don't have the guys back there to win you games or to protect leads, that's going to – in a short season, it's going to cost you. So – I would expect there to be a lot of close games too. Uh, and, yeah. and maybe even some sloppy games, especially early. Yeah. Like w I think one of the, the storylines that's going to emerge throughout the early weeks of July is how are these guys getting ready? Like who really came in and came back sharp? Because not everybody will. You know, you'd like to think that every guy was just grinding away, going hard as hell for the last two months, and that they're coming back just raring to go. Like they really didn't miss a beat, but – that's not going to be the case for everybody. And, and there is going to be a rust factor here. And they're also not going to play 25, 30 exhibition games leading up to the start of this season. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like there's going to be some sloppiness. I feel like that, that early on teams may not separate right out of the gates. And you're going to be playing a lot of toss-up games. And like you said, the, the teams that can win those games late and, and have the ability to lock it down late, they're going to be the ones that, that get off to a good start and likely position themselves to make the postseason. 
and it's hard to talk yourself into the Phillies being one of those teams. But damn it, we're going to be positive this year. Well, I'll say I'll say this. I think that they are correctly put by Vegas into the spot where they are as yeah. the number six team in the National League. I think that that's kind of where they are. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I think that they're the fourth place team in the East. I, I think that they can make I'd be stunned. I'd be stunned. I if think they, they can, I think they can be third. Yeah. I'd be a little surprised if they finish fourth. Um, but I think that, you know, they're going to be right in the mix for the wild card game. And then, you know, we may have a one game wild card is to see what happens with this Phillies team. Who knows? Wouldn't it be like, I feel like flyers fans are saying the same thing, but like, wouldn't it be so Phillies to, to win 35 games, make the playoffs. And like, nobody even knows really how to feel about it. Like this idea of like, does this matter? Like, is, is this a real championship? Like, that feels like such a sports talk radio, like, just debating the hell out of it. Does this postseason really matter like all the others? And I actually will tell you that I believe that it does. Like, it and does. It will. of course it if does. The Phillies, if the Phillies win 37 games and they are in the NLDS, like, everyone's going to be fired up for that. I, I would love to tell you the stadium's going to be rocking, but I, I guess that's not going to be the case. No, 37 and 23 is pretty darn good for 60 Yeah, that's games. what I'm saying. But I'm, yeah. I'm just telling you, like, if they do play well, I think that people are going to be less likely to say, ah, oh, this doesn't matter. You know, I, I think people are going to be totally into it, just like they would any other year. 100%. Honestly. I agree with you. At least on a local level. Um, one other thing I want to talk about, unless there's anything else you, you want to hit on with uh, nope. this season, I think right now where we're at with it, you know, just kind of taking a general view or general overview, I think we're good on that front. The only other thing I want to talk about is uh, JT Romuto. Um, this was you know, one of my three predictions you asked me to come up with. Yeah, we're going to close the show tonight with uh, <laughs> each of us have three predictions. So uh, we, we will hit on those in a minute. But the negotiating period is going to open uh, five days before the start of uh, spring training part two or summer training, whatever they're going to call this. I guess that's on Friday, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, do you think now in light of what the free agency market is, is going to look like that this helps the Phillies or hurts the Phillies in signing JT Real Muto? And, and do you think that there's a possibility that he just simply takes a one-year deal and waits? Or do you think he's going to be more inclined now to, to ink the longer-term contract? So I think that this is, the Phillies are in a critical stage at this point with Real Muto. Um, I'm going to I'm going to stick my neck out and and be negative for just a second and I think that this could be the last 60 games of JT Romuto's wow. Phillies career. And I don't just say that because I think that um you know the Phillies won't try. I mean I think the Phillies will try to sign him long term. But I think Romuto is now whereas before he maybe didn't hold all the cards, I think now he does. I think now the situation is that you know what? I can, I can, I can, you know, back out of this. I don't need to sign your your uh, deal. I can back out of this. I can sign a one year deal and play somewhere else next season, and then let's see what the labor situation looks like after twenty twenty one, and then get my big contract. Then, um, I mean, he's still of, of that age where he could do that. Now, the, so does that put the Phillies in a situation where they say maybe we have to give this guy a little more? than we really want to, especially after losing all this money this year? Um, maybe. And so then the question then becomes, are they willing to go that route? Are they willing to spend money when they aren't making any or not making enough 
um, to lock up this guy as the best catcher in baseball. They should. I'm not certain that they will, and I'm not confident that they will. So my one of my three predictions was going to be that this is this is it for JT Romuto. Okay, I am. I'm the other way. I think that they're going to find a way. I think that they just for the simple optics of it. And I know that that's kind of a silly argument, especially when you say like, well, the players and the owners are going to come to an agreement and they're going to play baseball on, on July 4th because they have to, you know, like we, I said that I was guilty right. of saying that. And then you found out that, yeah, you know what? Business is business. And when it comes to JT Romuto business, maybe business and, and he ends up elsewhere. I just think that, uh, the optics and wanting to win and the way that Harper values Romuto and, and, this organization sort of at a crossroads. It's like, why did you sign Bryce Harper if by year three you're you're still taking steps backward? You know, like you're not you're not gaining ground on these teams in the division that are better than you. You're almost simply hoping that they're going to come back to you, not that you're going to go chase them down. And I just don't know how when you evaluate finances aside, if, if you say I want my effing trophy back and you are theoretically trying to become this perennial contender. How do you let this guy who is an elite player at his position walk? And, and for that reason, paired with the fact that they gave up what they did to get him, I just think that they find a way. And, and maybe this is where John Middleton, to, to bring back this phrase, which I wish would just have died, but um, you know, I'm going to do it. Maybe this is where the stupid money thing kind of comes into play. And he says, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of business sense. And, and maybe maybe we're going to have to overpay for this guy, but we're going to do it. My sense is that they, they will. Bob, you speak common sense. You really do. I mean, that is the common sense thing. And I, and I, I hope to God that you're right. I mean, that's what I wanted to – I hope I'm wrong. I want them to, to look at it and say, absolutely, you got to bring this guy back. But I got to ask I, – I guess I guess want to ask you is that do you feel confident that with the way – with all the turmoil that there was with this team, in last off season. And a lot of it was us, both you and me feeling that they should have made wholesale management changes, not just the coach, um, but wholesale management changes. And that this was a prove it year. Now, of course, being cut down to a 60 game season, does Clentac and McPhail, do they get another pass if the things don't go well in a 60 game season? Or, you know, is their future, you know, going to be cut short? because Middleton doesn't want to keep waiting. And does that determine, does the real Muto situation fit into that in some way? That was the topic of my, our next show. That was what I <laughs> wanted to propose to you. How much should we hold this front office accountable uh, in a 60 game season? Yeah. And by the way, I think quite accountable actually. Yes. Um, because I agree. You can say like, Oh, listen, unprecedented circumstances. And that's all true. And obviously listen, if, if things happen where there's uh, numerous players that end up getting sick and then that derails their season, that's a totally different story. Sure. But all things being equal, if everyone stays healthy here, I do think you can evaluate this team based on, on what's going on. I mean, sorry, like it's, it is a business and you are going to play baseball. And if your team does not perform well for 60 games, then I think that that indicates that you built a poorly constructed team again. And uh, you know, there's, got to be somebody else out here eventually that can do it so I do think that the Phillies should be or this front office should be held accountable for it's the team's performance barring anything that, that you know is obviously just totally crazy right and so um, where, does, where does real Muto fit into that like yeah you, I, you if, know if I don't know Phillies. if he I don't know if he would look at this season like if the Phillies go 25 and 35 and they're never in it and it's a mess like yeah could he could he potentially walk my sense is though 
I think the Phillies would be better served to just kind of make a preemptive strike and, and not let them find out. I mean, I think if they're going to do this, they've got to come out and be aggressive, make a really good offer, not only just to kind of say like, hey, we want you and, and you show your worth and all that, but also to kind of wash away whatever lingering bad taste uh, might, might kind of still exist following the whole arbitration situation before all hell broke loose. So, so, so you think it needs to happen in the next 30 days? More, I think more so come out than after that. Yeah, I, I think they yeah. have to just say, listen, man, like this, you know, this is what the finances are going to be. You know that we're headed towards some uncertainty. You know that the market, you're not going to get necessarily what you were, you know, you thought you were going to get, but we're going to take care of you. And we're going to make you about as good of an offer that you could hope to find on the open market. I mean, there's not going to be a hometown discount here by, by any means. I, that I will tell you. So I, I do think they find a way, but again, nothing would surprise me. So um, to that end, I guess let's, let's kind of get to the finish line here. And uh, I would like to hear, do you want to go back and forth one yeah, at a time? Yeah, let's go back. Let's go back and forth. I, mean, I just gave you one. So. All right. So yeah, I, I'm going to tell you uh, one of the reasons I'm optimistic about this team. I just have this sense and I, I still feel the way I felt uh, back in March. I believe, um, that Bryce Harper is going to have a, a top five MVP season. Uh, I think that that's what he's headed for. I, I just felt at the end of last year that he really uh, kind of became comfortable. I think he got his bearing straight. I, I think that he started to kind of feel like, okay, this is my place now. And you saw the way that he finished the season. And I, I expected that to carry over into this season. I would have told you, playing 162 games that I, I thought that he was headed for 40 plus homers. I thought that he was headed for 125 plus RBI. I'm not going to give you statistical predictions at this point, but I think that when it's all said and done, he's going to have a top five uh, NL MVP type of season. Yeah. I, I think Harper is going to have a great year. Um, but the, the, the prediction that I wanted to come back, come out with is I think Reese Hoskins is going to have a bounce back year this year. I really do. And I, I think that, I think that he recognizes where where he's at in his situation with the Phillies because you know they they look at they've looked at him as a long term guy um, and they expected him to kind of be a middle of the order uh, run producer and he certainly had a miserable season last year and should be better. Um, I, I think that there's going to be a, a, a little bit of a change to him. Um, I think he'll be a little bit more aggressive this year at the plate. I mean, I know he's a very selective guy and that's what the Phillies like about him is that he works pitchers and he takes walks and that's great. But something tells me that you're going to see a little bit more of an aggressive Reese Hoskins to try and get himself off to a good start. And I, and I think that that's going to play out over the course of 60 games. And I think he'll actually have a productive year. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if he has a productive year, then this is going to be a very good team. <laughs> you know, just to say that, just keep it simple. I mean, I don't know. I actually think that um, I, I didn't like what I saw in the spring. I, I was kind of discouraged by that. I thought one of the problems for, for Reese last year, there were obviously issues with the swing and, and there were reasons that he was not getting on base or, you know, hitting the baseball with any consistency. But I do think there was a huge mental component to that. I think that here's a guy who had so much success, even early success at the major league level. He never went through prolonged slumps like that in his entire life. And I just think it took a toll on him. And I, I don't think he was going to get himself out of it last year. And, and then you reset, you come back in spring training, and he really didn't inspire a whole lot of confidence early in spring training. That being said, I think maybe this second break, if, if there was a guy that could benefit from it, you know, Andrew McCutcheon aside, you know, with the injury issues, 
it might be Reese Hoskins. This is just another opportunity to kind of let him get, a, get himself together here, hit the reset button, and, and get going. And I could see that. I, I don't feel as confident as you do about Reese Hoskins right now, but certainly the Phillies still love the guy, and they want him to be a, a centerpiece of this franchise. I'd be quick to point it out. He was one of the players that was available uh, the day that Joe Girardi got hired uh, or the day of his press conference. They made Reese available to the media. He's a, a big part of what they do. They love the guy, but it is time for him to, to kind of put up here. All right, well, um, you're up. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I talked Number about two. him earlier, and I, I guess you won't be surprised by this, but I think that Jake Arrieta is going to have an annoyingly good season. Um, I just kind of good. Yeah, I think that he's going to annoy the fan base by pitching 12 really good baseball games for this team. I, I expect him to be healthy. I think he's going to have a bounce back year. He's headed into a contract year. Uh, he strikes me as the kind of guy that would use that as extra motivation, <laughs> frankly. And so I expect Jake Arrieta to be really good and solidify that number three role. And I think people are going to say, where the hell's that been the last two years? Uh, and, and so that's my prediction. <laughs> that's my second prediction. All right, I'll give it my third one is the stick the neck out, the real stick the neck out prediction. Okay. Here it is. Be and it's coming because it's only going to be a 60-game season. But because it's such a short season, Roman Quinn will steal the center field, starting center field job and become one, uh, like a loved player this season in Philadelphia. That's great. Um, you know what? I, I don't know like if you wanted me to say no way or like you're an idiot or like – No, I know you like me, him. But I love him. I love <laughs> Roman Quinn. I think he has the like most him. upside of the, all those guys. Nothing against Adam Hazley, but I, I really like Roman Quinn. And you said it, shortened season, less opportunity to get hurt uh, in theory. And, yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. And – he is the kind of guy, and it's interesting you said that. If he has that type of season, people in the city are going to love him. Yes. They really are. He's an awesome guy, um, very charismatic, and he – He's got he's, a little Victorino in him. Yeah, he, and he's just right? super talented. And if he can stay on the field, I, I do think this fan base would really take to him. I, I am totally with you on that. Yeah, so that's, what, that's the one – you know, who knows how center field is going to ultimately play out, but I think that that's the one that – that could go in a very positive way for the Phillies if, you know, with Roman Quinn only having to play 60 games as opposed to trying to stay healthy for 162. Absolutely. Uh, my third prediction is very general. I'm, I'm not going to go super specific with this. We are going to go to great lengths this season to be positive, us too. I can feel it. Well, that's, that's your prediction? <laughs> no, no. And oh, so okay. in light of that, now, <laughs> in light of that – I have to be positive while I can be, you know? <laughs> so I think that the Phillies are somehow, some way going to find themselves in the postseason for the first time since 2011. I don't know how they're going to do it. I just get the sense. I know even talking through the schedule earlier and, and talking about the bullpen and kind of saying, I, I might even have said at some point, like, I just don't know. I don't see it. But I think when it's all said and done, they somehow find a way in. Um, and that's, you know, probably going to contradict myself. I may have already contradicted myself, and I probably will on our next episode when I start going through the the nuts and bolts of this team. But I think they're going to do it. I don't know. I you're again. It's I think it's close. I you know I can't I can't say just yet. I, I really want to see. I want to see a little bit of spring training 2.0. I want to see how the schedule plays out. Like who they play when. You know, who's going to get the, you know, what teams are going to face Nola and, and Wheeler, which teams are going to get the back end of the rotation. Like, so there are a lot of things I want to look at before I sit there and go, oh, yeah, they're going to make the playoffs or, oh, no, they're just going to miss. Um, but I can certainly see it. I, I don't think you're, you're 
you know, making a crazy prediction there. I don't like that bullpen though. <laughs> Not at all. I, I feel like they're going to have to go like old school Rockies. You know what I mean? They just, they're going to, the offense is going to have to go off and they're going to have to get some okay starting pitching, you know, I, I, yeah. you know, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm looking at here. Um, Listen, we have some things coming up on this show. I, I feel pretty good about where we're heading here. I, I think we uh, have some some players. We don't want to get into specifics yet, but uh, over the next week or two, we have some former players, uh, some people associated with the team. Obviously, we had the Brett Myers interview. If you've not yet listened to that, certainly suggest you do so. And we had Jim Eisenreich on the show. Uh, that dropped on Monday. Uh, so please go back and, and be sure to listen to those interviews. I think you'll really like them, especially if you're a uh, Phillies fan growing up with that 93 team and, and Jim Eisenreich. Um, that, that was awesome to have him. And, and Brett was really good as well. So we hope to do more things like that. And then obviously now we have some baseball to talk about. And so we can go through. And what I love talking about is baseball. Like I like when we hop on after a game or after a few games and we can really break down what happens on the field, the managerial decisions, you know, who's doing what, why certain guys are hot, why certain guys are slumping. And to get this game back finally, I'm so excited for it. And, and I, I really think uh, that, that you and I are, are headed in the right direction. You obviously and Russ have done such a good work with Snow the goalie, and I'm, I'm motivated to uh, try to replicate that. And yeah, so I'm, that's where so we're heading, man. I like yeah. it. I, I like where we're going. I like where these podcasts are headed. And um, hey, you know, you know, Russ likes to brag about all of our rankings and how we're charting and trending in, in all these different countries. And I pointed out to him the other day that uh, here on Crossed Up, we climbed back into the top 200 uh, in the United States. And I don't know if you saw this, Bob, we're charting in Paraguay. That's big. <laughs> we're number four, the number four baseball podcast in Paraguay. Yeah, once you go top five in Paraguay, you know you're coming for top ten in America. It's just a foregone conclusion. So, so when I saw that, I was like, really? We got the number four somewhere. It was in Paraguay. And one of the reasons that we are trending in Paraguay is because we have really good guests, and one of them is coming up right now, John Foley at 2008 Phils on Twitter. Trip down memory lane with John chronicles the 1993 Phillies every day online. Great follow. Make sure that you check him out. Let's get into his interview right now. All right, what's happening here? We have uh, John Foley with us of at 2008Philz on Twitter. That is P-H-I-L-Z for those of you that want to follow, and you should follow. He is one of the best Phillies baseball Twitter accounts on that website. Uh, definitely implore you to make sure that you are following John. Uh, and he's here to talk to us today about what I think is really one of the coolest ideas that I've seen. Uh, I know that you've been doing this for a while now. Uh, this year, you've been tweeting day-by-day -day breakdowns of the 1993 season. I know before that, you were doing some 2008 Philly stuff for a while. Um, I really just, first of all, thanks for jumping on with me, and I appreciate it. Uh, but I really kind of wanted to ask you where you got the idea from and, and how you got started with this and how it's grown. So if you want to talk about that a little bit, go right ahead. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, first of all, I want to say, you know, I'm honored that you had me on here. I know you just had uh, Jim Eisenreich, you just had Brett Myers. So to to be here on the same podcast, that's fun. That's wild to me. Uh, so yeah, I got started with the, the 2018 um, back in 2015, I guess, uh, when, you know, dark days in Phillies baseball. Um, really just missed all that energy and excitement of, you know, the uh, 2007 through 2011 run. And uh, it was just nostalgic for those days, like everybody else. And 
it just seemed like a fun idea. Uh, get on there, see what was going on this day back in 2008 and sort of follow along with that. I was still watching the 2015 games with it. There wasn't really a whole lot of interesting going on. There. No, there wasn't. Those were some dark days, man. I mean, yeah, I'm going to be watching them no matter what. But, uh, you know, it was it was fun to go to go back down memory lane. I mean, now with the with the virus and everything and no sports, um, that the whole nostalgia industry is really taking off. Uh, but even then, I mean, just people, everybody knows, everybody loves that 2018 uh so it was just a great experience as it sort of grew and it became like a larger community and people all started sharing their own memories of what they remember about 2008 and they i was at that game or i, I watched this game with my mom or my dad and it, uh yeah it was just fun to interact with people in that way and just sort of run back through the season do you remember when you first started doing it like do you remember that was there a day where you're like oh you know what this day in philly's history and uh it was this game and so you just tweeted out a clip or did you start and say like i know i'm going to do this and it's going to be a daily process and i'm committing to it like do you remember the actual start of of creating this account yeah you know what i think i was i would think i was just like in my yard had a couple of drinks making some burgers or something and that's usually where you'll find me if i have some free time uh and uh, I just remember, it was like a really bad loss, like just a week or two into that 2015 season. And there wasn't a whole lot of hope going forward. And I was just like, sort of, man, I'm done with this. I'm going, and it was sort of on a whim. And then, but then like, once you commit to something to say you're going to do it, you got to do it, right? So right. I played it all out through the season. And uh, yeah, and as it grew, it, you know, it became a pretty fun thing and just, became basically part of my daily routine checking box scores from forever ago now did you run back through the 2008 season year after year after year is it something that you were doing cyclical like was it on a cyclical basis like okay we're starting up it's april again and we're going to run through it one more time now yeah so so i think 2015 was the first one uh around 16 i think they changed the character limits and let let you add photos without uh cutting into that so i think that year i was able to do a little better and then basically just ran it into the ground like (laughs) (laughs) like beat it dead like the next year i'm like i don't know i'm just sort of used to doing this so i kept doing it i gotta imagine you got to the point where like all right it's may 15th uh they won 5-3 that day i actually know this game (laughs) yeah yeah exactly you start to remember everything but it was you know it got to the point where everything's pre-drafted I'm trying to build excitement about the current Phillies team. I just want to join in conversations about that, you know, the 2017 team, 2018 team. But I got these pre-drafted 2008 tweets, so we might as well just put them out there. Keep using then, them, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the goal was always trying to trying to get to a place where, you know, where the the current team was exciting again. And I think what's a shame is I think we really got to that place like last year with all the – hype around Harper and, and they hung around in the race for you know for a while at least <laughs> and they uh, did yeah sometimes it was because the yeah, other yeah. teams let them but they were in it right <laughs> right they were in it, it was like, there was it hope was, there was some hope going into yeah. September you know yeah it's just like uh they they just wouldn't let us die and put us out yeah. of misery so I, I kind of feel like you were ahead of the curve you said it I mean with no sports on our screens right now uh you know with COVID-19 there has been this um 
you know, a market for nostalgia. So we're going back now and, and all of us are watching old games and clips on YouTube. And I would imagine, I know that Matt Breen wrote a story about how a lot of 93 games and uh, a lot of mid nineties games have ended up on, on YouTube. Um, I guess you're familiar with that account. Do you actually clip some of your stuff for Twitter from, from those games that have been uploaded to the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Whoever runs, and I don't know who it is, but whoever runs, uh, uh classic phillies tv on yeah. youtube they have they have most games, not all of them but most games and they have actually um, a lot of stuff that goes back into the late 70s and 80s too but for me like i don't know how old you are i i think we're probably in the same age range i'm i'm 34 um so i don't really remember like the early 80s games as much but that 93 team i was in second grade when that team made its run that was like when i fell in love with baseball so going back and just not even watching like the nlcs or the world series games but just flipping on a game from i think i actually tweeted you about it it was like a dodgers game a sunday game early in the season and just watching like the crowd and watching the commercials and like it's fascinating to me yeah man it's it's a trip i'm i'm a little older so i was 11 turning 12 and 93 so still prime so I had been in the I had been in baseball way into the Phillies it was my like my life in a couple years leading up to that and uh but you know they were terrible and then this 93 team comes out of nowhere and it was just it was the best thing that can happen to, to a kid that age so, uh, so let me ask baseball. you specifically about that 93 team did you have like an epiphany like hey I got to switch it up this year or was it like I know that they're are no games live on TV. I haven't really done this yet. Like, let me take the 93 team. Like, how did you arrive at the point where you decided to kind of switch it over to that, that team specifically? Yeah. So starting last year, I had, I really tried to, you know, transition away from the 2008 stuff. Like I said, I, I sort of beat it into the ground. Right. I, I felt like people were maybe getting a little tired of it. I was like, you know, I'm a fun team always going to have an amazing special place in my heart, but how many years am I going to sit here and be like, Hey guys, remember Chase Utley? Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> so that it's guy like, in high school that, uh, you know, he pitched a complete game his sophomore year at JV and he's still telling yeah, people about yeah. it 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, we got, we got to switch it up. And, uh, starting with the 2019 season and all that excitement, it was, it was starting to make that transition and like, all right, it's just going to be, we're just going to be talking. We're through the dark times. We can just talk about regular Phillies now. I uh, was excited about that. I uh, still tried to, you know, put up some, you know, some of the main 2008 clips and and uh, real highlights, but was really trying to get away from that. Then the virus hits. I was like, uh, what are we going to do now? And like you said, everybody's starting to look back at previous seasons and uh, definitely had no desire to do, you know, 2008 day by day again, but had always toyed with the idea of maybe doing a different season. Uh 93 I was always on the fence about just because I was so young I don't have the you know the expertise or not like I have particular expertise about 2008 uh, until until I ran through it I feel times. like you could be an official historian uh at yeah. this point to be <laughs> honest this, or the, uh, don't be point, honest about this yeah, don't be honest no, about it. <laughs> no yeah honestly at this point I could probably write a book having sucked through <laughs> it so much but uh but 1993, it's it's fun because it's it's a little bit more of a research project. Of you know, I remember, you know, from my childhood memories, I remember a lot of the stuff that you'll see on like whatever it takes, dude. And yeah, like, yeah, I watched it back in March. That was one of the first things I went to when uh, I realized we weren't going to have baseball for a while. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, all those all those memories are are in my head. But uh, I think you mentioned it earlier. Like a lot of the the things that really 
jump out at you and you're like, wow, are just like the more mundane. There's just like a random game in May or June, a 5-3 win. And, and you know, just – Yeah, like everyone remembers the, uh, the doubleheader against the Padres and, you yeah, know, and yeah. obviously the World Series and the way that that went down, that wild 15-14 game that the Phillies lost. Obviously, Joe Carter, game six. And yeah. I'll tell you what, though. I have one memory that jumps out at me uh, the most about that season. And so you said you were like 11 or 12 at the time. Yeah. Uh, my parents growing up, super middle class, you know, uh, Prism, though, wasn't in our budget. And I don't know if you remember, but Prism, yeah. they had a lot no. of Phillies games. And so, like, they would go away midweek for us a lot of times, especially when they were at home, right? And it was like PHL 17 and Prism. Yeah, man, those Prism games killed me. Yeah. I just I, – I remember that sinking feeling in my stomach. Like, <laughs> oh, it's on Prism Yeah, it's tonight. on Prism tonight. I'm not going to get to see it. So, I remember – I guess I'll read about tomorrow. <laughs> I remember we got to, like, mid-May, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn, the game's on Prism tonight. I'm eight years old. I'm pouting, and my mom's like, what's wrong? I said, well, the Phillies are playing tonight, but I can't watch them. And I remember – coming home and, and she was kind of like messing with me a little bit and she's like are you sure we don't have prism i'm like yeah i've been asking for it for two months now and she says well we finally got it and so i oh, turn on man. the game pete incavilia hits a grand slam <laughs> uh, and I, and i remember that vividly like i remember that more than i remember pretty much any other moment from that season other than the mariano duncan grand slam on hey. uh, mother's day those are like the two things that are just embedded in my mind from that year oh man i can um, imagine that's beautiful that's a beautiful thing yeah i think and that was the moment <laughs> that I, I learned to love baseball and I was actually kidding when we had Eisenreich on uh, last week I said that was the, the team that helped me fall in love with baseball and then game six of the World Series that year I think that was the moment that I learned how to curse uh, you know with Carter yeah, yeah. Off. I think that might have been my first f word at eight years old so <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, one of the things that I think is great about the account, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are familiar with it, but if you're not, I mean, it's not just, a, you know, a, a text recap of each game. You go back and grab uh, the, the screenshots of the daily news from that day or the day after the game. You have still photos. You integrate video clips of highlights from these games. Um I guess I'm kind of curious, do you have like a subscription, I guess, to the daily news that lets you just kind of crop out those, those front pages and back pages? Is that how that works? Or Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's like a few bucks a month. You can get uh, archived daily news and inquire actually um, uh, papers dating back way, way past 93, actually. Mm -hmm. um, you can, you can go back pretty far and like, get the actual headlines and stories and sometimes I'm not sometimes I catch myself I'm like what's that about I'm not even reading about the Phillies I'm reading about yeah, what was going on random, in 1993 what was going on in 1993 yeah. like it's just yeah. it's a trip just like uh seeing some of that stuff but yeah I try to make it like as switch it up as much as possible try to mix in some of that stuff 93 music movies anything to keep it just from being like dull and a lot, a lot of spin doctors <laughs> a lot of spin doctors you know in the anthem yeah Sorry to put that in everyone's head for a couple yeah. days. And once that gets in, it's hard to get out. Yeah. Um, um, so is there anything that jumps out about that particular team, the 93 team, or any player or performance? Like, I'll tell you for me, the one thing following your account that I just – I remember him being a good player. I just don't remember him ever having that type of season was Tommy Green. And I know he fell off a little bit in the second half, but, like, watching his numbers and some of the starts that he put together, I think – you had tweeted out he had like four straight complete games at one point. And I'm like, Jesus, like, yeah. I, I don't remember that. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it was, I think it was five. He started huh. eight. No, he was just, I mean, came out the gates, just destroying people. He was, he was untouchable. Um, 
Yeah, so that's that's something that he's he's one of the guys remembered as a key part of the team, but maybe not remembered in the same way as like Dalton and Blake Sherman Crook. Yeah. Um, so there's there's that, and the other thing that jumps out at me both both for the '93 team and the 2018 is just really somebody different stepping up every day, and that's really one of the hallmarks of a great team, right? Where like one day Mariano Duncan's the story, and the next yeah. day Dykstra's the story. Then Peter Gavilli has been the story a lot lately. Uh, Eisenreich, who you had on, just yeah, you know, a couple a uh, couple Kim yeah. piece bailouts late in games. I know that he he had a couple yeah. for them, and uh, you you remember the? I guess you probably are at this point already. You had the Milt Thompson. He he reaches up over the fence. I guess oh, I catch. at San Diego. It was a day game. I if I don't uh, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I mean you're day right. Game up over the fence, catching that ball. I mean it's just amazing. And the other thing that I saw too was uh, Dave Hollins. Like Dave Hollins, when you look at walks, RBI stuff like that early in the year, and I know he gets hurt, but but leading into that injury, he was he was a damn good player for that team. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, one of the amazing things I, I'm looking at the news reports where uh, where he first gets hurt, and they're talking about he's going to be out six weeks with surgery, and uh, you know, not to spoil anything, but he comes back after like two weeks, like no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of crazy. Well, yeah, yeah just, I, I always got the the feeling like he was a little bit of a psycho. <laughs> you know, like I just kind of he seemed yeah. like he had this intensity about him. He says like four to six weeks, absolutely not. Like I'm I'm coming back in ten. Yeah, <laughs> I saw in one of the one of the old uh, one of the old pregame shows that I stumbled across. They got Larry Boa talking about him, and uh, he's talking about how he's going to be an amazing player, but he might just need to chill a little bit because he's a little too intense and might burn out. And hearing that from Larry Boa is a little nuts. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, I, don't, I, I, have a, I have a request. If once we get through 93 and we get baseball back, hopefully we get baseball back as we're recording this. Uh, the owners look like they're going to implement a 60 game season. The players may agree to this. It, it looks like, well, they're being forced to agree to it. I don't know if they're going to file this grievance or not yet. We'll, yeah. we'll see how that goes. I kind of want you to, to do like a, a blunders uh, blooper, like a, a blooper reel almost. Like take me back through the 97 Phillies. And <laughs> we were talking to yeah. Isaac about how he left it just the right time. Like 95 and 96 were pretty rough for the Phillies, but he goes to Florida in 97 and wins a World Series. And like the 97 Phillies for me was just like the absolute low point. There felt like there was no hope. They were hanging on the old guys. Yeah. It was a mess. Yeah, no, that's that's a fun idea, man. Actually, go back and you know hit up some of those. Uh, Show me uh, Tony Longmire striking out three yeah, times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a fun idea. I think uh, you know it's 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 always very helpful to remember where we came from. Yeah. That'll make you appreciate uh, going thirty and thirty this year. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> so. oh, that's good stuff, man. I, I really appreciate you uh, jumping on with us. Like I said, it is if you are not following John's account, one of the best accounts. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, specifically if you're a Phillies fan, it's at two thousand eight Phils. That's with a Z uh, on the end of that Twitter handle. Please make sure that you're following uh, him online. It's great stuff. As we progress through the second half of the '93 season, there's just so many good memories. And uh, like I said, he's pulling up uh, video, stills, box scores, back pages of the Daily News. It's just it's such a fun trip uh, down memory lane for, for anybody that, that remembers those games even vaguely or was born after the fact. And you kind of get to learn the flow and the way that that season felt. It's just it's such good stuff. 
Thanks, man. I really, really appreciate the kind words. I uh, hope people are having fun with it, following along, and uh, really, really appreciate you having me on. This, is, this has been a blast. Uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time, man. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Crossed Up. Do us a favor. Please be sure to follow us, subscribe, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart, all the top apps. We're on them. So be sure to leave a comment, subscribe, follow along, help us grow the show. Thank you.